Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. Amen. Father, praise you. We thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, that your spirit is guiding us into all the truth. You are the spirit of truth in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke 13, there's a story here I want to read. The Bible says that there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans, Jesus now, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, uh, Pilate was known to be a ruthless leader and we can gather from this that he had murdered some Galileans that were sacrificing at the temple. They had apparently violated some Roman law that he didn't like or not. But uh, either way, uh, he killed some of these Galileans. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered these things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So there's a couple of things brought out here that are very important. Number one, all of us, regardless of our situation are in debt to God, are sinners. The, bio, the, the word literally means a debtor, a sinner he used here. Do you think they were worse sinners? The word literally in other areas of the Bible is used to translate the word debtors, people that owe. Um, the word means a debtor, one who owes a moral obligation, an offender, a delinquent, a moral transgressor. The debt concept comes from this sequence. We are morally bound to live a life free from violation of God's commandments. Failing in performance, we become delinquent, transgressors, and debtors to divine justice. That's Jack Hayford's edit of, of this passage. So let me give you just a couple of other scriptures to verify this. The Bible says in Romans... In chapter 3, in verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The word literally there is accountable to God. So the, God's law, the holy law of, of the old covenant, is supposed to, cause all of mankind to realize that they have broken that law and because they've broken that moral law, they are obligated to God. They're in debt to God. They owe a moral obligation. I was thinking about this. You know, some people might scoff at this and say, you know, well, well 
I mean, come on, it's really not that big a deal. I mean, nobody's perfect. And that just shows how the knowledge of God is just so clouded by culture and clouded by society and clouded by trends. But listen, God created mankind. And God created the heavens and the earth. And God, in his creation, set certain laws and standards of righteousness in order. And the Bible says, you can look it up later in Romans 13, that we will all stand and give account of ourselves before God. Every person living on the planet knows that this day is coming. And this is a debt. This is a weight. This is a guilt that we can't get away from. You know, the Bible, uh, in the world, they have things called debt relief. Right? And we, debt relief. In other words, they help people that are in debt financially. And I'm using finances as a metaphor for sin. Debt. And there's debt relief, and there's relief that, that can be provided for people. And it can make them feel better for a time being. But ultimately, they know that they have to pay for the money that they owe. And that's the condition of the human heart. Everyone is aware that they have sinned, the Bible says here in verse 20, and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, verse 21, but now the righteous, I'm sorry, verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So you might say in, in other areas of the scriptures the Bible teaches very clearly, well I'm not an adulterer, but I have stolen. So in other words, if you have upheld part of the law, that doesn't justify you for breaking another part of the law. And it's just so clear. God is saying, listen, acknowledge that you are guilty, that you are imperfect, that you need debt cancellation. Amen? Now, I want you to imagine there was a man walking the earth that was, um, he had unlimited finances, and he was walking the earth, and he was uh, taking people one at a time and removing their debts getting rid of house mortgages, getting rid of car loans, getting rid of credit card debt. He was just freely paying it off. Do you think he would be popular here on the earth? Do you think people would come to him and say, please, me, 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 I know I'm in debt. Now imagine if those same people came to him and said, listen, I know I overspent here on this credit card and I owe several thousand dollars and I was irresponsible. But hold on a second. Last year, uh, I was very responsible with paying my house mortgage. Therefore, sir, I'm not in debt. I don't need your services. Isn't that what people do, though? We say, but wait a minute. Um, because I've done this good thing, it nullifies the bad thing. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us very clearly that sin creates a stain upon our hearts. And out, the human heart is burdened by the weight of sin. The Bible says in Jeremiah, I just want to read this to you quickly. In Jeremiah 17, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond it is engraved on the tablet of the heart. 
and on the horns of the altars. Notice that, obviously, a diamond is, blade is the sharpest that you can use. The metaphor here is clear, that there is no greater cut and penetration into the human heart or the human spirit than sin. It cuts in. It leaves a mark. And notice also that it is engraved on the horns of the altar. Now, what does the altar represent? The altar is the place that we go and approach God, is it not? The altar is a place that we come and we bring our sacrifices, we bring our good works, we bring our religious deeds, and we bring them to this place, and we say, God, here, please accept these things, and therefore, accept me. But God says, listen, you're, I, you're, you may be making sacrifices, but the sins that you have committed are ingrained upon the very foundations of the religious structure that you are negotiating. They're not removed. There must be a sacrifice. Somebody has to cancel that debt. Somebody has to remove the weight of that burden that's upon you. And there's only one man that's been authorized by the Father. His name is Jesus. But you see, there's people have excuses. They say, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on a second. I don't, I'm not so sure I need debt cancellation. And there's, there's actually um, seven reasons why, I believe, I'll go through them quickly, why, why people have been deceived to think that they don't need to have their sin removed before they meet God when they step out of their bodies. Number one, comparison. Well, my mistakes and my sins are not as bad as this other person's. I mean, look at how horrible they are. I'm not that bad. And we compare ourselves. Number two, blame. I was provoked. They made me do it. This person is involved. That's why I did it. I don't need forgiveness. Number three, motivation. I didn't do it on purpose. I wasn't trying to sin. Some of these are, are legitimate, but they're, they're not sufficient. Number four, good works. I do good things too. These good things should relieve me of the bad things that I've done. I volunteer my time. I help other people. Number five, remorse. Well, I said I was sorry. I told you I was sorry. I even tried to make it right. I sent flowers. Number six, personal or hybrid morality. Personal morality is, listen, I have decided what's right and wrong in my life. I have a, a, a moral code that I live by. And when I, get, when I stand before God, I'm going to say, God, listen, I have decided that this is what's right and wrong, and I've upheld that. Who are you to tell me that my code of morality is wrong? God says, well, I created you. I know every step you take. Hybrid morality. Well, I, I like a little bit of this religion. I like a little bit of that religion. I like a little bit of New Age. I agree with some of that. And number seven, religious affiliation. I've been to church. 
I've had some affiliation with a religious institution or maybe potentially an upbringing at some point in your life. But it has little to no bearing on how I see the world or live my life. So I have good news. Jesus, the Bible says that there was a rich man that went out to settle accounts. And he found this one and he found that one and he said, I'm going to wipe that debt clean. You can look it up in the parables another time. God wants to settle accounts with his creation. God wants to settle accounts with his children. You know, the parable of the lost son, excuse me, in the parable of the lost sons in Luke 15. How many know there were two sons in that parable? Both of them lost. One of them religious. One of them errant. Both lost. Neither one of them were connected to the father. How many know that there was a great debt that that young son took from the father when he left? I'm talking about the prodigal son. Amen? He said... Let's go there just for a moment. Luke 15. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that fall to me. So he divided them to him his livelihood. And not many days after that, the son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. That young son said, Father, I want every bit of my inheritance and I want it now. He went and he took that inheritance and he wasted it. How many know that the, by the grace and the mercy of God, that young man came back? Amen? That young guy came back to his father and he said, Father, I'm sorry. Father, I've sinned. Father, I realize that I've made a mistake. But listen, his return cost the father. And it cost the older brother. Now this is partially Tim Keller. And I just want to, um, for any of you who didn't hear, uh, Brother Tim Keller went to be with the Lord a couple days ago. Uh, for the, any of you that read his uh, books, would just keep his family in prayer. You know, sometimes when you read uh, literature by Christian authors or you listen to their sermons, you almost feel like you know them. Um, and I just kind of feel that right now. So I I just pray for, for, for his family, and um, I really believe he's with Jesus. But he wrote a book, and I'd recommend it. It's called Prodigal God. And in that book, he explains very clearly that in Eastern cultures, when that son came and asked for that inheritance, when he came back, he was taking... You see, he's a son again. Amen? That return had a cost attached to it because he already wasted part of that inheritance. But now that he's back in the household, he now gets, he's a son again. Remember, what did the father do? He put the robe on him. He put the ring on him. He put the sandals on him, signifying this is my son again. He was dead, but now he's alive. He's in this household. He belongs to me. I am taking him back in, and I am going to pay for the debt that he wasted. He is a son who's going to get an inheritance that he wasted. And the older brother was a hard and callous religious figure. But he also was into loss as well. Because 
His chunk, you might say, of his inheritance went like this. One brother came back. But I said I was sorry. When we break moral law, when we break God's moral law, it requires a sacrifice and it requires payment. And the fact of it is that we can't pay it. Jesus did. He paid it for you and I. You say, well, wait, oh, okay, Christianity, I understand. You, you, you come to God, you get emotional, and you say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I'm not a good person, and you get a hug from somebody in the church, and you go by with a track and a sticker for your car, and you're good. No. Jesus died. He gave his very life to pay for the moral obligation and the moral debt that we owe because of our sin. Sin crieth out for judgment. So, what I wanted to just talk about tonight for a few minutes, and Connie, I'm going to connect to, the, to this morning, but I just felt in my heart to get into this just a little bit. Um, and i got to give you one more scripture. I was so excited when I read this this morning that um, it was hard for me not to get into it this morning. Go to, go to Colossians chapter 2 for me, please. In verse 13, Colossians 2, 13. Are you ready for good news? Are you sure? You got your good news shoes on? Here we go. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having you forgiven all of your trespasses. Amen. Watch this now. Having wiped out See, that's how God works. God doesn't say, let's improve you a little bit, okay? I'm going to help you a little bit. I'm going to, you know, make it so that you can approach me sometimes and have a little bit of success in your heart. No, Jesus wiped it out. What did he wipe out? The handwriting of requirements which was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. What did he nail to the cross? Listen, that word handwriting is an interesting word. It's a word commonly used when a monetary obligation was acknowledged by a debtor. It's basically a signed confession of indebtedness. Bond. It's a self-confessed indictment. And that's Jack Hayford again. A self-confessed indictment. That is saying, God, you are holy. Your law is holy. And I just want to jump to the Apostle Paul for a minute who recognized this. He was, we could argue, the most religiously stimulated guy in the Bible. Can we put it that way? How many know Paul was, he was a religious guy? Even before he became an apostle. He was moving up in the ranks of the of the Hebrew, um, Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin. He was top-notch. And he said, in my life, I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to do right. But, and you can look this up later. In Romans 7, he came to a conclusion. He said, the, the good that I'm trying to do, I, can't, I, I don't do that. 
The bad I don't want to do, I do that. So I found a law that evil is present within me. The one, me, who wills to do good. So he realized his propensity for sin and that evil was actually present within him. This is the condition of people. You can hide it. You can cover it up. You can justify it. But I'm telling you, God is calling out to you. Acknowledge your sin. You can try to, you can try to say, listen, I've done all these good things. God says, listen, I see those good things. I'm not against those good things. But what I'm against is that sin that's engraved upon your heart. I want that debt off of you. I want that weight off of you. I want you to be free. So Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ. He said, I found the answer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. And what did the, what did the, the Pharisees do immediately when he, Jesus suggested complete freedom from bondage? He said, he, you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you feel, say, what are you trying to say? We're sons of Abraham. We're the people of God. It's in our blood. And he said, listen, boys, when you sin, you become a slave to sin. You become a debtor. And there's only one person that can make you free from sin. And that's the son. And whom the son sets free is free indeed. And now you're not condemned, but you're free. God wants us to live in freedom, hallelujah. He wiped it out. Jesus wiped out sin. Cleared it right off. Done. The Bible says in Hebrews, let me just go to this one other scripture. The Bible says in Hebrews that he removed sin. I'm sorry, he put it away. Hebrews 9, 26. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put it away. He got rid of it. He has authority and he has power to reach into the human heart and get that sin out of there. God wants us to live free from condemnation. God wants us to live free from a guilty conscience. God wants us to walk in the spirit of freedom. But there's a way that we do it. And I guess I'll close where I started last night, uh, this morning. We, he wants us to walk by the spirit. Watch. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Are you with me? I'm almost done. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So where does freedom come from? Where is it found? It's in Jesus, right? But look at this. Look at the words here. It's the law of the Spirit. The Spirit of God sets us free. God says, listen, I don't want you to try to follow the rules anymore. You don't have the ability to do that. I used the metaphor this morning. It's like, think of an architect's, uh, beautiful architect's plan to build a house. Perfect. 
and then called the crocodile hunters to build it. No offense to the crocodile hunters. I was thinking of those guys on TV. God bless the crocodile hunters. But they're not going to build that house. Think of, a, of, a, of an offensive coordinator with a perfect football playbook. And then he calls the girls' soccer team to play the game. Listen, that's you and I trying to live free before God in our flesh. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh cannot make us free. Our flesh is the very, the Bible says that he condemned sin where? In the flesh. Sin, excuse me, the flesh is where sin lives. The flesh is where sin manifests itself. The flesh is still there for you and I to contend with. And some of us go there too often. And I'm one of them. I was just telling the story about this monster that came out of me yesterday with my own children. Well, Charlie, my dog, um, she barked all day. We couldn't find the shot collar. She barked from sunup to sundown. We found it at the end of the day. But that's an excuse now, isn't it? I just got very frustrated. I got mean with my own kids. And one of them started to tear up for a, for a little bit. And I saw what was working through my flesh. My flesh. Not the Spirit of God. Paul encourages us to walk by the Spirit. And you'll not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. And I I just want to close. You know... I felt as though several years ago that God uh, was going to give me a word to show me steps to freedom, victory, victory, freedom. Steps. And can I tell you, this is it. Walking by the Spirit of God is walking in freedom. Walking by the Spirit of God is walking in victory. Every step that we take when we obey the Spirit of God, when we obey... Now listen, let me just very quickly. The, the pastor and I were talking about this after church this morning. The, the translators in the Bible didn't make a distinction between capital Holy Spirit and Spirit. When we're born again and our spirits are regenerated and there's a new creation, the Spirit of God is here. Amen? Lowercase s. When the translators, at least of the New King James Bible, refer to the Holy Spirit, they capitalize the S. But in the Greek language, there's no difference between the two. Are you with me? So sometimes it's hard to distinguish whether the Bible is talking about our human spirit in the New Testament or the Holy Spirit. But you know what? I was thinking, I don't care. Because the Bible says his spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. And the Bible says that we're like this, me and him. His spirit and my spirit are one. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Hallelujah. So walking with him by the spirit of God is walking in freedom. And God wants to set us free. Freedom. 
Freedom. I, I, one more. I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to one more scripture. This is my life verse right here. He has, Colossians 1.13, delivered us from the power or the authority of darkness and conveyed us, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. God is in the business of setting people free from the bondage of sin. Freedom. Freedom. Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to walk by the Spirit, Lord, to trust in the Lord, to trust the Spirit of God, not to trust ourselves, Lord. The devil's trick, his deception is, is to convince us that we're not in debt, that, that we haven't sinned, and his trick is to get us to focus on ourselves. Lord, help us to focus upon you, Lord, in that moment, Lord, of temptation, in that moment, Lord, where the flesh wants to rise up, Help us to remember, Lord, that it's by the Spirit of God that we crucify the flesh. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you, God, that you have great power. I, I'm, I'm, I just thank you. Lord, God has great power in his spirit. The Spirit of God is a spirit of power, and the spirit of power has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we have power to live a life that is pleasing to God. We are not powerless, but we are powerful through the Spirit of God when we walk by the Spirit. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's Word and that you be filled with His love and strength as you daily serve Him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry, and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.